Welcome to Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. And I'm Jay. What are we talking about, brother? <laughs> did you watch that... the Raw reunion? Oh, I did. And it all makes sense when we get to the end of the show. That's a, that's a, that's a tease. You um you you're a regular uh WWE watcher, aren't you still? Like you you do you get the network still? Yes. So, uh I guess we'll, we'll we'll skip to the end real quick. We'll give away a little bit of the end. I have been I was a wrestling fan when I was a kid. I sort of fell out of it uh around the college age years. Uh, I ran into a couple of guys when I first started at ESPN that were into WWE. I started watching a little bit, but didn't really watch that much. Fell out of it again when some of those guys left the company. Didn't really, you know, sort of sort of checked in, but didn't really pay much attention to it. And then my son was born, and all of a sudden he got into wrestling, and now it's become a father-son thing. Mm, perfect. So uh, I... I was way into it as a as a kid. My, my like my grandfather got me into it, you know, before I was born, effectively. And he and I would go to live events locally. And then I was right at the prime age for the Monday Night Wars. So when when wrestling was at its peak, I was its primary mm. target as well. Uh, and in the and in the South too. So like the the right demographic <laughs> in all the ways. Um, but but I sort of faded out by the end of high school, college. I didn't follow for a long time. You know, while I was you know getting. Uh, partying and getting my education and then getting married and young adulthood and everything. Uh, but yeah, when, when my kids, for some reason I got nostalgic about the time that my kids were at the age where I started watching wrestling. I was like, I wonder if they could get into it. And so we did the network for a little while. I haven't been doing it, uh, for about a year and a half now, I guess, just because I found myself, I didn't watch any of the new stuff, so I didn't keep up with the network, but they they advertise they've still got my email address right so they ping me all the time telling me what's come they're like hey you should restart your you know your subscription to watch this watch this watch this other thing and the other day i got one that said you know raw reunion monday night and the in the picture was the undertaker stone cold and I think Hogan were like three of the primary figures that that were in the front. And I don't remember seeing The Undertaker now in the show itself when I watched the He wasn't the, on the, the event. I didn't think he showed up, yeah. But uh Stone Cold was there and so was Hogan, uh, which was pretty cool. It'd been a while since Hogan had had anything to do publicly with the WWE since his last little scandal. It was kind of nice seeing him welcomed back into the fold. You know though, that that's all ahead of the fact that uh the Hemsworth is about to play him on Netflix, so they're like, We gotta get gotta get in with him, brother, before he <laughs> becomes a national icon again um anyway the raw reunion was very cool it's nice to revisit nostalgia like that we've got a wrestling relevant podcast to discuss for you in our currently listening at the end of today's show that's one of the reasons why that came up jay we've got news to talk about first though of course we do of course we do this is what this is this is my new favorite thing now because there's there's lots of watches, you know. Everything everything is a watch. You know, I'm an NFL fan. There's six holdouts right now. We're on holdout watch. We're watching to see when they're going to report to training camp. Will they report to training camp? When are they going to get their contract? We're now on Apple Podcast category watch. It's day seven as of the recording of this particular podcast. There are no categories currently in Apple Podcasting. It's crazy. It's crazy, Joel. It's anarchy. Oh my God, what are we going to do? There's no categories. Uh, I mean, of course, I don't listen in the Apple Podcasts app. I, I use the Apple Podcasts app on occasion to check my client's stuff, to check my own stuff. 
But you know, Jay, here's maybe uh, maybe this is shame on me. I hadn't even noticed. I had not even noticed that this thing was going on. Uh, I had heard that there was a kerfuffle when they flipped the switch the other day and said these new categories are ready, that they weren't ready in the app. But I figured that'd work itself out in a day or two. It is not. We're now on a week, a whole week that it's been screwed up. That's kind of that's kind of messed up. I will admit. Shame on Apple on this. Well, and the thing too, if you go when you go into the app and let's say you go to a specific podcast and you see, oh look, there's a category like there's a sports category, and you click on the sports category, it brings you right back to the homepage of of the Apple Podcast Store. So it won't even bring you to a category page if there is a category listed for that particular podcast. It's um, it's a little odd. It's a little weird. Uh, Nick Qua made a note of it in the Hot Pod saying that it's pretty darn strange that an unquestionably fundamental pillar of the podcast ecosystem <laughs> is just gone. It's not there. Um, and he sort of likens it to imagine if all the massive electronic billboards in Times Square temporarily displayed an OS update progress bar <laughs> instead of a big ad. Now that would be cool. I would love to see that in Times Square someday. A bunch of the signs that are down and there it's just a progression bar. Loading, loading, loading. That happens great. sometimes at my local that happens sometimes at my local uh, McDonald's now that they've got all the of the TV screens <laughs> for the menus. Yep. Every now and again their computer will crash and it'll just be a bunch of blank, you know, Windows ninety eight screens effectively. I was at a Popeye's and they're like, I'm sorry, you can't look at the menu. The menu is incorrect currently. It's showing the wrong prices. I was like, well, that's a you problem. That's not a I want the price that you're displaying on your on your display. Like, yeah, we can't do that. So uh, I did not have this in our list of topics, but just as a alternative here to show you that, because the, the end note here from Hot Pod was that this whole thing seems weirdly fragile and cobbled together mm. you know this podcasting space uh that seems at times to be pretty big business marco armit with the overcast app you and i mentioned him before we started recording here today uh i didn't mention this update when it came out because he's updating the thing all the time now but he, he made a couple of big announcements first of all that his actual ios 13 updates and his catalina app his mac os version of overcast are not going to be there on day one he's way into the summer now and he's looking at the work that he's still got to do to fix the app for just for ios 13 just to make his current app good on the devices that it's already working on and use the newest features he's got a lot of work left to do so he's going to do that first and then move to adapting it for some of the new stuff i.e., making it uh, a mac os app which he says is going to happen probably even before the end of the year it's likely um but not day one is the point the other thing though that happened on that same day he made the announcement that there was sort of a mid-year upgrade or update and what this update was going to bring was a bunch of stuff but the biggest thing that it was going to bring was a removal of his twitter recommendation tie-in so he had formally made it where you could sign into Twitter, you could connect your Overcast account to your Twitter account, and then people that you followed on Twitter 
would recommend a show occasionally using the Overcast app, and those would populate into your recommendations and vice versa. The things that you recommended would be recommended to people that followed you on Twitter and use the Overcast app. So you and I, for instance, might have uh, been able to use this feature, Jay, because we follow each other on Twitter and we both occasionally use the Overcast app. He said in practice, it was an incredibly small number of his users that had ever actually connected to Twitter. So the vast majority of his users weren't getting any personalized recommendations at all. He also found that the recommendations weren't that great because the people you follow on Twitter don't necessarily have anything to do with the kinds of podcasts that you listen to. You and I, for instance, you're going to be very heavy sports focused. I'm going to be very heavy politics focused. And those two are not going to cross over very often. So he switched now to a machine learning based recommendation recommendations engine that is only based on other overcast users just like the apple podcast app when it says other people that listen to this show Mm. like or subscribe to he effectively does that now so when you hit the plus button in the overcast app to get a new show you go to his directory that little directory window pops up and the top section is suggestions for you so here's an example of my suggestions these are shows that i'm not currently subscribed to but that are subscribed to by people who are subscribed to shows that i am subscribed to if that makes sense that's a complicated thing but he says it works really well and if you look at these shows it makes a lot of sense the top one is under the radar which is a tech focused show that features a couple of the hosts from other shows that i listen to already one of them being marco arma pod save the world is the second one i listen to several of the crooked media shows pod save the world is a show i used to subscribe to i eventually fell off because i'm not that interested in foreign policy as i am in uh national policy so I had sort of dropped that one off. Wonderful uh, from Rachel and Griffin McElroy. That's a McElroy family show. It's one of the few that I don't listen to, but it's one of the ones that I keep thinking about. Hey, I bet I would like that one. I like Rachel. I've heard the few times that I've heard her. I love Griffin. He's maybe my favorite McElroy brother. Uh, and that show is all about them bringing things that they like to talk about. They don't, it's not like a, Every week we talk about the same TV show or movies or whatever. We talk about something different. I bring you something I like. You bring me something you like. It's a cool idea. Uh, Crooked Minis from Crooked Media. Top Four from Relay.fm. Hysteria from Crooked Media. The Empty Bowl from Justin McElroy. Again, another McElroy show. <laughs> several from Maximum uh, MaximumFun.org. Several from Crooked Media. A couple from the 5x5 network, which again, I've got shows that are on that network. I listen to some of those hosts. So all the way down, like literally 20 or 30 shows here they're suggesting to me, and every single one of them is either something that I have once upon a time subscribe to I've listened to a couple of episodes of, or I've thought to myself, Hey, I ought to look that up and try that sometime. So I know that these suggestions are good. This is an example of a third party vendor, a third party app developer picking up some of the slack. So yeah, Apple podcast screwed up their categories this summer. Well, this summer overcast came in and said, let me help you find your next favorite podcast. And I've got a way better way to do that than I've ever allowed in the past. Uh, Just like his clip sharing feature that quickly got copied by several other app developers, I'm hoping lots of other people go, hey, we've got all this data too. We can make our own recommendations engines as well and not have to worry about what Apple does. Move further away from mimicking and mirroring the Apple podcast directory at all. I think it's great for them to use Apple podcasts as the first line of defense for like submission, right? Which is effectively what they're doing now. They're saying Apple will block 
copyright material. Uh, Apple will block test shows. Apple will block things that are offensive or things that are illegal, et cetera, et cetera. And so we don't have to worry about all of that stuff. That's great. But after that, you should stop worrying about what Apple does with their directory. Yeah. I mean, Apple's had that recommendation engine since its inception, at least for as long as I can remember. So, I mean, uh, it's there. I, I, I just don't know how many people use it. And of course, if you have a larger show, you got to you got to go through 300 episodes before you even get to the people also uh pe- people who have listened to this podcast I've also listened to this one um so so there's some things that are inherently with the Apple podcast app specifically but i mean for me i'm still old school i'm still listening on an iPod i'm still downloading it uh, on iTunes it's i'm not really even technically using the Apple podcast app i'm using iTunes i'm still downloading on iTunes i'm still you know, moving it over to my iPod. I don't even sync my iPod. I tried syncing it uh, this summer, and it totally screwed up everything that I was doing. It, it flooded my. It, there were too much. There was too much for my iPod to handle. For one, um, I don't know. It's just everyone's got their own little quirks, their own little things that they like. And you know, you love the Overcast app, and and it works for you. And I think everybody needs to find what app is going to work best for them. We know that still, overall, the majority of people that are listening to podcasts are listening via Apple in some manner or form, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, whether it's from whatever. I mean, everything ultimately goes through the Apple Podcast app, but um, we know that Apple is still the king for the present time. We'll see how that continues on. Well, this is an example of how they could screw that up, Jay. I mean, like, honestly, if they get through the summer and the categories still don't work at all in their app... (laughs) <laughs> right it's people definitely are a discover- start it's some a discovery normal problem. people some normal people are gonna start looking elsewhere apple even already so every now and again in the app store the front page of the app store will have a big feature section that shows you all the other podcast apps that are out there so i'm saying those same quote-unquote normal people that just take mm. what apple gives you will eventually find frustration or might eventually find frustration in the Apple podcast app. And Apple is already showing them what their competitors are doing is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, right now what it comes down to is the only way that you can find new podcasts is whatever is on the front page of Apple. And this could be, honestly, this could be an experiment being done by Apple to see how much do they really need these category pages. We talked about, uh, last week, how Dave Jackson pointed out that there's going to be something like 32,000 more podcasts featured in their own top 200 because of all these new categories being featured. Well, maybe Apple is like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're not going to do that. No, no, no. Why would we do that? We're buying content now. We want to focus on the content that we're going to buy and we're going to promote exclusively here in the Apple Podcast app. We don't need to do that. No, why would we do that? Out of the kindness of our hearts, we're not making any money off this podcasting thing. It, so it does strike me as one of those things that, like a couple of years ago, the, there was an app that got booted from the App Store for a specific procedure while also Apple printed a, a like a notification to app developers that they were going to be allowed to do the thing. And both those things happened at the same time. <laughs> and it was because literally the right hand wasn't talking to the left hand. And I like the same thing happened with NBC the other day. They they canned a show that's on NBC's network 
while they waited, all the contracts expired, and then NBC streaming rebought it for a new season. Like, you idiot. You're the same company. Why not just keep the contracts that you had instead of having to renegotiate with all the actors? But okay, fine, whatever. That's the right hand not knowing what the left hand's doing. It's entirely possible that that's what's going on here, that the Apple podcast group, because they are so small, started doing one thing, and the broader company had a different idea. As we've heard, they're already working on maybe these big deals or whatever with content uh, producers. Perhaps... Those two things were sort of moving independently, mm. and then they heard, and they were like, wait, 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 you're going to, how many are going to be featured? No. As you said, no. No, we're not doing 32,000 new featured podcasts. Thank you. We're going to feature the 10 that we pay for. It could be, but we still have to wait and see on that. Hey, speaking of waiting and seeing, uh, apparently there was a uh, <laughs> there was a study done this summer uh, by Rajar, which is the uh, UK audio measurement company, uh, Kenton Nielsen, by the way, here in the United States, uh, th- they found out something that we already knew. Uh, 92% of all listening to podcasts is done alone. Oh, go figure. You put earbuds in your ears and, uh, and, and you share that with somebody. No, that's not the way it works. And we already know from the good folks over at Edison, my good buddy there, Tom Webster, uh, that people are using their smart speakers to listen to more audio together, but it's still not, it's nowhere near 92%. It's a very small, small percentage. A couple of things I think that could change this and open it up a little bit over time. First of all, as more of a percentage of all audio becomes on-demand audio, the listening habits of on-demand audio were more closely resemble the listening habits of traditional radio, I think, uh, because a larger percentage of the population will be doing it. So their same habits will largely continue even though they transfer their mediums. That's just my general thought. But also, here, here's the thing, Jay, we have, again, just the beginnings of the birth of these smart speakers, right? Like it's really just starting to happen. <clears throat> Also, you have a new technology, which again, I don't know if if other companies are doing this. I assume they are. But Apple in the betas this summer has a feature where you can share audio with headphones. So I can be listening with my AirPods. I think it already worked in the last version from one set of AirPods to another. So if you and I both have AirPods, I can share a piece of music or a podcast with you. But in iOS 13, any Bluetooth headphones work. Mm. So I can be listening to a podcast and say, hey, you want to listen to this with me? And I can share it with you as well. Again, that's not going to skyrocket. No. It's not going to take off overnight. But introducing that technology and then everybody eventually having a device that it works with, again, over the course of four or five years as that trickles down across the market, right? You can imagine that in five or ten years, the this data looks different. But again, yeah, not surprising that today, 92%, we talk about it all the time, what an intimate medium yeah, it is. It's in showers, it's in the car alone, it's on a commute, it's in your headphones. I actually, cetera, I actually don't think in five to ten years it'll look all that different. If anything, it'd be like 89%. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think there's going to be a huge to amount of people that are all of a sudden going to be like, hey, hey, I see you've got earbuds you want to listen to the same thing i'm listening to that's just not the way people interact anymore and it is a shame it is a shame i I hear this all the time about you know the the uh, forgive me 
uh, you know, I hate talking in generalities. The millennials, you know, the millennials, they're all sitting there with their phone. They got their head down. They're looking at, they're looking at their phone. They're, they're typing away at their phone. And they're not interacting with people. You get on the, you get on the bus, you get on the train, you get on any sort of public transportation and you see everybody with their earbuds in. Nobody's, nobody's listening to each other. Nobody's having any conversations with each other. And I'm not saying that people back in the day, like our parents, when they were taking public transportation, were saying they're having conversations with each other. It's just not in our humanity, the way that we've been raised to sit and talk with strangers. We've been raised as kids to avoid strangers. Don't talk to strangers. So it's not really... 40, 40 50 years ago, they were all reading newspapers, yeah, Jay. Well, it's just not in our blood to interact and co-mingle in, in that sort of sense with a bunch of strangers. So I just don't see... And even and even in a group of people that you are friendly with, like let's say the workspace, uh, I, I still don't necessarily see the, hey, you want to listen to the same podcast I'm listening to? I'd just be like, hey, I'm listening to this. You should give it a listen. Go back to your cubicle and, <laughs> and listen to the same thing I'm listening to. Yeah, it, you're right. It, it, you're right. It, it's never going to get down to that 60% or 54% um, alone like live radio but i do think the numbers could close a little bit get into the mid 80s uh you know maybe even the uh, the lower 80s um i think that there is the potential for a new rebirth again especially as the medium expands as we as we grow and define exactly what a podcast can be i think there is the potential for a rebirth of literally like the family coming around the radio. I think with smart speakers and dynamic programming, I think there is the potential for people to say, hey, let's set aside an hour where we don't have a screen and we're eating our meal together and we can enjoy whatever that audio fiction is or the news programming, for instance. You know, like good quality uh, family appropriate news programming that was presented in the evening hour, kind of like a live broadcast or something. I think that could be really cool. And I think that with the expansion of smart speakers, I think that's possible. I really, I don't think that's like some sci-fi future. I think that's, I think that's something that we could see. I don't, I don't think that it's impossible, but I definitely don't think it's probable. I just don't, even, even as I raise my own children, and sort of have my own idealistic sort of thoughts on the way that a family should sort of gather around the dinner table or whatever. And we do our best, my wife and I, to try and have those moments. That's like once or twice a week when all of us are actually available to be around a dinner table. The rest of the week, you know, I'm either off to work, my wife is still working before she gets home to work, before I'm gone to go do what I'm doing to, to make money for the family at the present time. The kids got football. One kid's got whatever else she, you know, art class that she's doing, you know. So we're always going in many different directions, and just I, that idealistic idea of you know what we grew up with, learning from like the fifties and the sixties of the nuclear family sitting around the table having dinner together. I don't know. It, it's it's a lovely thought, and I think it's definitely something that is missing in our society. I just don't know if even I can sit here and say it's something that I can help bring to the future. Cause I don't, I, I don't even know if I can implement it in my own family. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, interesting stuff though. And again, I had never heard of, I did not know that there was a, a British equivalent to Nielsen, not perfect equivalent because I believe the, um, 
the Nielsen Corporation don't don't they have a UK branch as well or a or a European? I'm branch? sure they do. I'm sure they do. But I've heard of Rajar before. Um, they are an audio measurement company, to be even more specific. But uh, mm. th- uh, they they've been around for a long time. Definitely involved in communications, and you would wonder. Why does there even need to be a UK audio measurement company when everything is publicly owned anyway? Um, and that's a good question. <laughs> and one to ask someone more knowledgeable in uh, foreign broadcasting. Uh, speaking of Nielsen, though, they had a, a little announcement of their own. The Nielsen Podcast Listener Buying Power Service is coming and will be much too expensive for you and I to purchase, Jay. Well, we talked about the... Uh, yeah. Twice yearly subscription report that integrates Nielsen Scarborough consumer behavior data with detailed insights on podcast listening. Uh, yeah, you're right. We had mentioned this before, but it's uh, it's official. It's coming well, soon. Well, and, and, and that sentence that you just said was a little bit more clear about what exactly it is than what we previously had before that. And there's an article here that's in our show notes from mediavillage.com. And it goes into a little bit more detail and talks to some of the players that are involved uh, with this particular service or, and will be utilizing this particular service. And it comes down to essentially these ad buyers are starting to ask more and more questions about who is listening? And it's not just how many are listening. It's who specifically is listening to these podcasts. And whether it's fair or not, you know, we talk about the differences between radio and podcasting and television and the way that radio and television measure their audiences and find out about their audiences seems to be a lot different than what podcasting is being forced to sort of undergo. To me, it's always been we know without a shadow of a doubt this particular file was downloaded, period. Radio doesn't know without a particular doubt that that radio program was listened to, period. They make an assumption based on the details that are laid out in a diary or by a, a sound wave that was picked up by a monitor that a person is carrying for a certain amount of time. But the detailed analytics that podcasting right now is trying to give to these advertisers is nothing that radio and TV has ever had to do before. And if they have, it's been in very sort of, I don't want to call it shady, but it's a very murky sort of assumption-based analytics this is going this is going beyond that this is becoming this is more focused more direct type of uh analytics that are being delivered to the ad buyers that ultimately is a good thing for podcasters and this is the part that drives me nuts when i'm hearing things from other people out there and they write articles about the privacy of your listeners is that this is all for the betterment of the space. It's not, nobody's trying to do anything nefarious with this information. Yes, nefarious things can happen when this information gets into the wrong hands. Totally understand that. We've seen it happen. We've been reading all sorts of different things about what's been going on with Facebook and, and things of that nature. Get it? Totally on board with that. But ultimately, these companies aren't being created for that type of use. It's being created to help provide 
a service in a better manner. Well, I mean, we want bigger money in the space. Also true. That's what we we all say. We want more money. And for more money to come in, they will want to better qualify and quantify the return on investment. That's what it comes down to. And that's what this is about. They want to be able to better track the money that they're spending as that money becomes larger. What they're at, You're right in that this is not what TV has ever offered. This is not what radio has ever offered or will ever be able to offer. This is akin to and very, very close to what they're wanting is basically what they've gotten with digital advertising, with web advertising. With web advertising, they can effectively know through per, if it's a large enough company and they are interested enough in my profile, they can know specifically how many times the ad has been shown to me, Joel Sharpton. Like that is what the web has given them. Is that a good thing? I would argue that it's not on a whole for what the web has. It hasn't made the web better. I think it's made the web a little worse. And I think we are now seeing a swing against it with continued privacy push by all the major vendors for web browsers. Even Google is on board for a lot more you know, uh, tracking transparency and tracking opt outs and things like that, or, or opt ins even, which is better when you have to say, I don't mind being tracked and targeted for advertising. Uh, you know, obviously Apple is leading the path here, making it very clear that in the newer versions of their web browsers on both iOS and the Mac, they're effectively going to shut all of this down that they have access to and can. And only when you opt in, will you be targeted in this way? I think effectively the same cat and mouse game will happen in podcasting because the fact of the matter is that app developers like Marco and Overcast, they're not, he's not going to play ball with any of this, whatever pixel tracking auto things you want to do and embed in the files, he's going to shut down as often as he can. And if it gets to the point where the only way to access your content is to also send you this data in some fashion. I think he's the kind of guy that'll make it a pop-up in the app before you load the audio. It says you're sending your data to this producer. Is that acceptable? You know, and you, yes, you click opt in and then he'll allow you to listen to the, the audio. I mean, I think that's the cat and mouse game that we could get to here. Will Apple allow significant tracking from third party producers in their own app? I don't think so. One of the things that Nielsen mentions is the idea of having an actual uh, ratings of podcasts like they do TV shows. And they say it would require cooperation from all the major app developers. Mm -hmm. Apple is the biggest game in town, but that would mean Spotify. That would mean Overcast. Overcast is only like 3% of the total podcast consumption market, but that's big enough that the numbers would matter if you were talking about ratings, particularly when it would incredibly skew the kinds of genres and shows that would be featured since a certain subset of the audience is much more likely to listen through Overcast or a third-party app than the the you know the built-in apps. Anyway, it brings in a lot of questions. I don't think it's going to break podcasting. I don't think it totally broke the web. I'm also not as positive as you are on what it will bring to the medium. In the short term, I think it's going to bring a lot of money. I think it's also going to bring some hassle 
or some uh, some negative effects like the tracking and the sort of cruft, the ad cruft that we've gotten in the web. And then long term, I think developers, vendors, app developers, whatever, will swing back at that. Producers will swing back at that in some way. And it'll fix itself is what I'm saying. I'm really not worried about this. I think better tracking is good in uh, of the overall market better understanding of like what the market is doing would be good individual tracking i don't think is helpful for producers in the end i really don't yeah i mean i see your points and i think i think everything will ultimately work itself out in the end i'll put it that way i think yes what where i may disagree where it could still be helpful to a producer in terms of advertising dollars in terms of the way that they produce their content uh, knowing exactly who that audience member is that's listening to this podcast and producing specifically for them um, is something that could be helpful. At the end of the day, what will win is the dollars and cents. So if if the dollars and cents all make sense, then it's going to end up happening. And if they don't, then it's not going to end up happening. And, th- and that's pretty much the bottom line. More... Uh, more information from different surveys. Westwood One did a survey a couple weeks ago, uh, found some interesting information that, again, we all sort of already knew, um, but their uh, interview came from a survey of 1,407 U.S. respondents who were monthly podcast listeners made up of 1,005 weekly listeners and 489 podcast listeners who consumed five-plus hours per week. Now, their information found... Dun, 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 dun. Apple is the dominant player. Oh, thank, thanks for the new news. But what it did find, uh, and stats that I haven't seen in any of these other sort of uh, surveys that have been done, the average monthly podcast listener accesses 2.7 podcast platforms. Not podcasts, but podcast platforms. That means Apple, Spotify, Google, etc., Podcast newcomers use 3.5 platforms. I find that very interesting. Let's just stop at this particular point. Why are we accessing the different platforms when most of the content is on all of these different platforms? We will probably see these numbers increase as there are more and more exclusives out there, but that's not the case right now. Do you think that Westwood One included YouTube in the possible podcast platforms? that they counted. Mm, I would guess yes. I, I would I would say that they did too. Uh, I think this makes perfect sense, Jay. You and I have spoken about this before with the idea of exclusives especially and, and that becoming more of a thing. But even before exclusives, so like the Ron Burgundy show, which we've mentioned before, is not a true exclusive. It's available in any podcast app. It's just produced by iHeartRadio. But again, as a non-podcast listener, a current non-podcast listener, or one that is not a regular podcast listener, but you hear about that show and you think, I love the Ron Burgundy character. Let me try that entertainment. Mm. Where do you go and listen to it? Well, you would assume iHeartRadio. Right. At least I would or hope you would. If you saw it advertised, if you saw it advertised on YouTube and they linked to a YouTube channel, maybe you just go to the YouTube channel, right? Or you YouTube search that Ron Burgundy podcast or whatever. And, and so, likewise, if you've never heard of a podcast or you've never listened to one in depth, but you you know Joe Rogan from his MMA experience, for instance, and uh, you see on a YouTube video a link to a Joe Rogan podcast clip. 
you probably just start partaking in the Joe Rogan experience right there on YouTube, mm. right? And that sure. becomes where you listen to the Joe Rogan show. Even if you then say to a friend, hey, I've started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. I really like it. And they're like, you should listen to the ESPN Daily Show or the ESPN Fantasy Focus pod, you know, football podcast or whatever. Where do they go for that, Jay? They open up their phone and they go to their ESPN app. Right. And they go, hmm, ESPN Fantasy Focus. Oh, look, it's right there in my ESPN app. Now they're using two different podcast platforms, neither one of which is a traditional podcast app. That's how this happens. Okay. Yep. And it makes sense that it closes right. and becomes less varied with the more that you listen. The more you become a podcast listener, the more you understand the medium and know, wait, 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 I can get these all to come to me right. wherever I want to be. Uh, by the way, uh, YouTube is most definitely something that they listened listed as a uh, platform because it notes here that 67% of podcast listeners who listen to five plus hours per week follow their favorite podcast hosts on social media, and they're equally using Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to follow their favorite hosts, uh, which is also kind of an interesting stat. I mean, oftentimes people ask, what social media should I be using? And the answer is... Whatever one your audience is using the most. Uh, and quite frankly, it appears that everybody's using them all pretty equally. That said, from Edison Research, you can get a better idea of the type of people that are using the different types of social media platform. For one, Facebook is older. Uh, so the older aged listener is is most likely going to find you or use uh, Facebook to, to interact with you. Instagram is younger, way younger, like millennial teenager younger. Um, so that's sort of, that gives you a quick idea of how to do that. And YouTube is probably for everybody. There needs to be more research done into the relationship between YouTube and podcasting. Because I hear mixed stories about YouTube and podcasting, both good and bad. I, I mean, it's outside of my own use, but I just, I know too many people who say that they are podcast listeners, avid podcast listeners even, would call themselves podcast fans, have maybe spent money on merchandise or attending live events, and yet the only way that they listen to podcasts is with a YouTube video closed in the background, you know, minimized in the background or whatever while they're doing something else on their computer. That is how they listen to podcasts. Mm. And I I'm I am one of those guys on Facebook telling the guy that has a YouTube channel that he doesn't have a podcast yet. He's got to get an RSS feed. And yet I I mean we literally talked about it last week, right? The word podcast right. maybe has become genericized. Uh I I don't I don't want to accept that yet, but I think this is an example of how people younger than me uh, especially, but not even people younger than me, people older than me too. People that just don't use this medium like I do. Um, this is the way that they're coming to it. This is the way that they're discovering it. And sometimes this is the way that they're continuing to use it. Pot. Hey, we put our show on the, we, sh we put our show on YouTube specifically for that reason. I know that there are some people that that's how they're going to get it. Mm. That's how they're going to listen to the show. Okay, great. Listen to it there if you want Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Be wherever your audience is going to be. And quite frankly, right now, your audience is everywhere. So be everywhere as much as you possibly can be podcast promotion on am fm radio is noticed 31 percent of podcast newcomers typically discover podcasts by hearing about them on am fm radio note westwood one is a radio broadcaster uh so take note to that but you mentioned the ron burgundy show i know 
iHeartRadio has been very heavily promoting podcasting uh, on all of their radio channels. Yeah, if if the radio world, if the American radio world at least, uh, was not as consolidated as it is, I don't think this number would be so high because the mom and pop radio companies are still not diving in full bore to podcasting and so they're not promoting it but the big companies have (laughs) the big companies have all moved that way some of them several years ago all of them have now made big investments in podcasting and because of that they see what we've continued to talk about podcasting is way cheaper than terrestrial antennas all we got to do is get to a place where all of our listeners or 70 percent of them 80 percent of them can access our content without our antenna and then we can turn that shit off Oops, we turn that stuff off <laughs> but i mean honestly like they those those corporate overlords maybe not the end of like i think i my local my local general manager here the guy that i used to work for on radio i don't think he is longing for the day when he can turn his transmitter off i think he's sort of like sanguine about that maybe hoping he does he retires before they get there but the corporate overlords cannot wait for the day that they can turn that transmitter off. That transmitter is a huge negative on their balance sheet. The only thing that that tower is good for is for renting it out to cell phone companies to mount their little <laughs> antennas on the top of it as well. That's the only thing it's good for. So they'll they'll be happy when they can turn it off. And uh, I, I saved this last one so that we can move on to the next story. Podcast ads are the least likely to be skipped among all media Monthly podcast listeners skip digital ad formats the most. I'm assuming digital ad formats being the ads that you would pop up on your computer screen. Um, I don't yeah, know. Was, I don't know how was... you can possibly skip over a digital ad that's like a banner ad on a particular website or something like that. Well, I mean, maybe they're talking about using uh, content blockers, you know, which is something mm. that I have turned on on occasion. I have I have ad blockers turned on sometimes for some of my devices. That might be what they're talking there. But I, I think they're also meaning like, what don't you partake in? What don't you interact with? You know, and pop-up ads is something that I never interact with. I don't ever click on something advertised in the edge of you know a buzzfeed article no it's just just not gonna happen no i don't normally either although many people say that they do i i do not um and most of the time when i see an ad on a web page it's usually something that i've already purchased (laughs) i'm like hey i already purchased that you don't need to advertise for me to buy it again i don't need two of them i only need one uh so i told you that story to tell you this one uh hot pod contributor co-writer I don't know how you want to, uh, what her exact title is over there at Hot Pod, but uh, Caroline Crampton, uh, who's joined forces with Nick Quad on the Hot Pod newsletter, uh, wrote a little article about it's not bad to like the ads. And um, she was talking about this in response to the Tim Ferriss experiment where he stopped putting ads on his show and then said, oh, we got to put ads back on the show. Uh, several podcasters I've spoken to, I'm quoting from her article, uh, to offer ad-free versions of their shows, said that they've been contacted by paying listeners, frustrated that they were now missing out on the discount codes and promotions offered to free listeners in the sponsor reads. One host said that they'd gone as far as to start posting all of their sponsor promotions in their supporters-only Facebook group so that the paying listeners could still benefit from the deals. Talk about unintended consequences. Like, all of a sudden, well, I don't like the ads, but I like the free stuff I can get from listening to the ad. That's the point of the ad! Like, oh, boy. Uh, talk about... Talk about your your 
oh man, that's that's just a mess. But in any case, I I can tell you that from my own experience, I've run into issues though where some of the ad buyers will not accept uh, or not give you credit for a purchase on their site if it came from a third party site other than your own. Uh, and sometimes it's in the fine details of the contract. So you do have to be careful of that. And I do wonder if that'll be yet another unintended consequence of providing your listeners the the codes to get the free stuff that you're advertising on a show that they're not listening to anyway. They don't even listen to the ad. They just want the free stuff. The the My favorite line from this, though, Jay, is... Um uh she's caroline's talking to some of her friends uh podcast listening friends and uh they said that they would rather support a show by listening to a few sponsor reads than make a direct payment pointing out that if you listen to lots of podcasts it's just not practical to support more than two or three directly like it had never occurred to caroline that it's hard to pay you know 17 nine dollar subscriptions a month to all your favorite podcasts like um come on like that was a like i understand her her uh language there but that seemed like a, a quite a bit of privilege to think about well i listen to 20 and i pay all of them no you don't like nobody's nobody's got a hundred dollar a month subscription to their podcasts okay um that's what that's what the ads are for that's what they're there for you pick a couple that you have a direct relationship with and you support them in a direct way if you want to just like you have that direct relationship with the wwe network right you could watch raw and smackdown and whatever their saturday morning programming is all on your cable package for free ostensibly right yep. you pay the extra money theoretically for the uh, pay-per-views, but also because you want all of the content. You want to be part of the club. You want to be connected to that brand and get everything that they have access to and everything that they want to offer you. It's the same thing with, again, I feel like, especially in this age of streaming, the companies that we align ourselves with, it is a little bit about like, we're wearing it. You know, we're repping our club, our side. This is my, hey, I wear Crooked Media merchandise, right? Like, because I listen to those podcasts. I like those brands. I like what they stand for. I want people to notice this is what I stand for, too. So I wear their merchandise sometimes. I'm wearing a podcast movement shirt right now because I like that brand. I like what they stand for. I like their event. Uh, I mean, that's not the only reason I'm wearing it. I also need a shirt to cover my <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I chose this one because I like the brand. Um, I so I, I think that there is room for both. But yeah, I do love the fact that like the NPR crowd is waking up to you know what advertising is kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, last story here. Almost as if someone on the show <laughs> said you should be buying the stock. I believe I shouted it out last week. Uh. Pod News notes that there's an article in Seeking Alpha that mentions that shares in Libsyn are cheap. It, quote, trades at half the valuation of its peers, and they're currently trading at near record levels, double where they were last year. If you got the money, folks, you should invest heavily in Libsyn. It also mentions the whole uh, brouhaha amongst their uh, board of directors there and says that if the company that's been seeking uh, to make some changes there within the Libsyn company are successful, it could actually rise, uh, increase the valuation of those shares in Libsyn, which I thought was also very interesting. Uh, again, it's all about dollars and cents. Libsyn's trading, uh, Libsyn's trading very low. I would go buy it now. 
<laughs> yeah, time is running out. Dollars a share, three fifteen a share, three fifteen a share down from their fifty-two week high of three forty-five. Uh, three dollars and forty-five cents a share. Market cap total market cap is ninety-eight million. Uh, yeah, that seems absurdly low priced to me. Like so low priced, I might go buy ten or fifteen shares today. Just. Just because, like honestly, like I'm, I might go spend fifty bucks on Libsyn today. <laughs> I might spend a little bit more. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm saying, I'm saying, I got fifty bucks. I got fifty bucks. I could blow this week. I think I might go blow it on Libsyn instead of a movie. Honest to God, like, actually, that's that, not a bad that, idea. That's a, that's kind of a crazy. If it's only three bucks uh, a share, that's about price. as much as I get tipped for for delivering food. I'll take my tips Hon- and start investing honestly, in Libsyn. Three fifteen a share is is absurd. Uh, with and and you as you mentioned we've talked about that group that wants to kind of ratchet up and be more aggressive in their uh ad uh, incorporation and some of their offerings i think to um you know producers directly even if that group which i don't think at this point that they're going to take over as we said they don't have to take over to change the direction of the company they could show the the stakeholders uh, or the shareholders at large that hey look this company is a sleeping behemoth why don't we wake up and take advantage of our position in this market before someone else does or just buys us outright why don't we take advantage of some of this value that's sitting out there waiting to be held i think that could happen again and they could become more aggressive even if they don't have an actual change of leadership it could just be maybe that they hadn't seen exactly which way the wind was blowing until somebody kind of forced them to look yeah you uh yeah you just i gotta call i I gotta i gotta figure out how to invest in the stock i'm going to but i'm going to buy some (laughs) listed stock i'm gonna go get you go get go go get the acorns app or the um there's another one that lets you do like you know like small trades or whatever at at basically no uh or low cost transaction fees i can't remember which one i uh josh shirley plays small time stock market stuff with one of these apps i'll go ask him my former uh, co-host by the way it's a long Um, investment it's not gonna be a quick turnaround investment it's a long no that's the thing this is a hold for a couple of years but we've talked about how this money that's coming in from Spotify and others is ballooning the valuations of all of these hosting companies. The only one that you can easily go buy a piece of is Libsyn. Because they're the only one that's publicly publicly traded. Everybody else is privately owned, so go buy it. Become a a Green Bay Packers owner today. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, Jay, let's get to our currently listing and wrap up this episode. You hinted at it on the way in. We were talking about wrestling. Um, you have a uh, wrestling podcast that you're checking out this week. What you talking about, Mean Gene? Uh, yes. Talk is Jericho uh, is the podcast I'm going to recommend here. Remember that time, speaking of podcast movement, remember that time, Joel? I was up on stage. Chris Jericho was was there, and he was hosting the award ceremony and best sports podcast came up and I, I I went up to him and I asked him for an autograph while I accepted the award for best sports podcast, which he was also nominated in and thought he was going to win hands down easily. Oh no. So sorry. The fantasy focus podcast from ESPN. Once again, victorious at the podcast awards. Uh, it was fun. It was great. It was great. Yeah. He threatened to body slam me. It was, it was phenomenal. 
Um, that, that was super, super awesome, especially as a wrestling fan. We ta- I talked about sort of my background with wrestling. What I like most about wrestling is I think of it as soap opera for men, right? That's, you got these big behemoths, they go and they beat the crap out of each other, but they're not really beating the crap out of each other. Although I will tell you last night, Brock Lesnar put a beat down on, <laughs> on Seth Rollins. That was pretty close to real. I actually sat there at one point. I was like, I don't know if this is a shoot or if this is for real, but, uh, it, it looks pretty real, and I can see Paul Heyman over there in the corner going, dude, you got to stop. Like, I think he's hurt. <laughs> like, you can read his lips. He's like, he's hurt. got to stop. got to stop, because he wasn't on mic. And I was like, I, I don't know if this is real or not. And then you knew it was fake because they brought him into the ambulance, and then Brock Lesnar ripped him out of the ambulance and beat him up some more. So it was... <laughs> see, I, that was... I always hated it when they would go into the ambulance. I'm like, if you just take him to the ambulance and then leave him, I get to wonder this week whether that guy's really hurt or not. But when you send the bad guy into the ambulance to tear him up again, I know that it's all been staged. Yeah. Like, don't I give some subtlety there. Like, leave leave some room for... I want to wonder if it's a shoot, too. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, so, so to break down the latest uh, brawling going on in WWE, uh, there, there was a guy named CM Punk. I don't know if you're aware of who CM Punk is or not, but CM Punk... Yeah, he was right on the tail end of my last... When he had his like sit down and told the truth the pipe about bomb. the WWE. Yes. I was not listening. I was not watching until that. And I watched that on raw on like YouTube or whatever. And I was like, I got to start watching wrestling again. This guy is unbelievable. So CM Punk is probably the best example of this. The best stories get told when they intertwine real life with the fate with their wrestling persona. And CM Punk did it tremendously you want to talk about a storyteller he was a storyteller he he's a small dude right he's straight edge didn't does no drugs no alcohol straight edge he's tatted up but he was a small he was a smaller dude he wasn't a big behemoth like hulk hogan he was um he wasn't super muscular he was just an athletic or, guy or modern day triple h right. he looks like old triple h right not new triple H. so what his strength was is you put him on a microphone and man, could he spin a yarn. And there's another guy who's sort of in the same mold. He wasn't necessarily a big dude, but he was a brawler. He was the kind of guy if you met, you know, if you're at the bar and there was a bar fight, you wanted him behind you because he was gonna he was gonna go berserk. He was a berserker. His name in WWE was Dean Ambrose. His uh, his name, I don't know if it's his real name or if it's another wrestling name, but his name that he goes by now is Johnny Moxley. And there's a new group. Uh, Joel, uh, much like WCW back in the day, that is started from former WWE guys and some uh, indie wrestling promoter guys called AEW. Uh, actually, I believe the Jacksonville Jaguars owner has a piece of AEW. Uh, and so the 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 only reason I know about these guys is there's a recent uh, Chris Jericho article that I saw. They've apparently pitched him. I don't know if he's signed yet or not, but he was talking about what he effectively asked of Khan, the Jacksonville Jaguars owner, to get, like Khan was like, "Hey, we want to talk to you," and he's like, "You don't talk to me. You don't talk to me. You want to talk to me? Here's what you do: you send me a jet plane to my airfield. You pick me up. You fly me to the Bahamas to uh uh, uh what's the big resort? The um." Uh, Atlantis or whatever. You fly me to Atlantis. You put me up in the Oprah suite, which is like $100,000 a night for a week. 
at the end of the week, I'll listen to your pitch. If I like your pitch, we'll we'll do work together. If I don't, I'm gonna go home and have a good time on your dime. <laughs> you know, like, I, and I don't know whether any of that was true, but that is such a Jericho thing to say. I was like, I I, I wonder what this wrestling promotion is about. I had not heard about Khan's deal until well, that. was was this the recent like the recent pay per view that had a big the independent pay per view that had a big yep, double or nothing yep, or whatever. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's AEW, right. and they're and and they now have a TV deal. Oddly enough, it's going to be on Turner on Wednesday nights. <laughs> so we are really getting back into the wrestling war. No yeah. way. Yep, yep, yep. What? Yep. So, but they're not putting it, there's no WWE content on Wednesdays, is there? There is not on broadcast television. On the app, they do their the- NXT uh, taping show on Wednesday nights on the WWE network. So it's opposite live NXT. Yes. That is interesting. Huh. So. Uh, Raw is going to be on Monday nights. Fox Sports uh, is going to have SmackDown now on Fridays. It's going to be taped, which, again, they've done this before. They're stupid. They can't have a taped wrestling event at the end of the week. No. They're just, it's not going now. to, not and especially not on broadcast television. It's going to fail. It's going to fail miserably. You got to have it live or not at all. Like, it's just yeah. ridiculous. But in any case, Johnny Moxley left WWE. Apparently because he's a hardcore wrestler and wanted to get back into sort of that hardcore, like, I'm going to tear my skin up. And I don't understand why you would want to do that. But in the match he had at that big pay-per-view, he did a whole hardcore thing with thumbtacks and barbed wire. And it was just lots and lots of disgusting, gory blood that I'm not into. But what I really find fascinating about Johnny Moxley, he's married to Renee Young, who is an announcer still at WWE. And I want, oh, wow. and apparently he gives a CM Punk type interview to Jericho on Talk Is Jericho that I want to go and listen to and find out, sort of get a little bit more of what the real story is behind his leaving WWE and Vince McMahon. But ultimately, uh, these are the types of guys, the CM Punks, Johnny Moxleys, who tell really great stories that get churned out by the machine that is Vince McMahon. McMahon hates that. He wants full control over everything. I am the god of the WWE. Nothing goes beyond me. Uh, so says Vince McMahon. I So it's such an interesting thing. This, this is, And I'm so glad you brought this this week. I had not been thinking about this at all. I'm definitely going to go listen to that interview now because that will be a really interesting one to hear how he walks the line or whether he walks the line trying to protect his wife's job at all, uh, maybe, while also telling his own story. But, you know, of course, the, the little bit that I've seen as I began to research some of this, Jay, after I heard about the Jericho headline uh, was that, you know, all of the, or not all of the, many of the online folks believe the uh, sort of conspiracy theory that this is all a front and in fact bankrolled by McMahon himself. <laughs> you know, that they basically, that they got stagnant, that he knows that the Monday Night Wars was the hottest thing ever going. And so he's got to build his own competition to sort of spur uh you know his own creative talents on i i don't think that's and i think your argument i mean th- what we know about vince mcmahon is that he wants ultimate control complete control and he wants to have an iron fist about everything um it's really interesting to me to see what will come of the company what will happen of the company as he ages and declines well it's happening or eventually passes so what's what's yeah. going on in wwe now is that triple h is actually Vince McMahon's son-in-law. He married Stephanie McMahon, who's obviously the daughter of Vince McMahon, and they're 
It's a family-owned business, uh, WWE. As huge as the WWE is, it's actually a family-owned business. And Triple H is actually the one that's mostly responsible for NXT. And NXT is really exciting. It's really hype. It was born out of the training grounds for WWE. The wrestlers would go to Fort Lauderdale and they would learn the ropes, so to speak, of how to wrestle. And they formed another division, which they called NXT. And that's this is sort of what they do. They wrestle at Full Sail University down there in Orlando. And they have tapings on Wednesday nights. And again, it's all about storytelling. And what NXT is, is these new guys... And some of them aren't even new. Some of these guys are from the indies. They've been wrestling for years. They're, they're looking for their shot at WWE, and they come in through NXT. But again, it's all about teaching these young, up-and-coming wrestlers the ropes about wrestling, and it's phenomenal stuff. It's way better than the product that they put out on Raw and on SmackDown, uh, which is, of course, the two biggest brands for the WWE. And what happens is, is Triple H will take over for a little while, and he'll get he'll get the ball rolling, and then he'll stumble, and the ratings will start to fall. And lately, this past summer, the uh, WWE wrestling uh, ratings have been at like an all time low, and that's when Vince the God steps in and does something called Raw Reunion, <laughs> which brings back all the old wrestlers, and all the fans go, get all nostalgic, and the ratings go up because all the old guys come back, and everybody wants to see the old guys. Nobody wants to see these old... I don't want to see these old guys wrestle anymore. I'm done with The Undertaker. The Undertaker's been wrestling now. Still. Uh, he's like... He's like 58, 60 years old at this point. Like, dude, hang him up. Like, forget about it. It's over. I don't want to see you wrestle anymore. You can't wrestle at the same level as these younger kids can. They haven't done the damage to their body that you've done already. So, I don't know. But that's just me. I love watching these stories. It's, to me, it's, again, all about the storytelling. My son and I, most of the time, we don't even watch wrestling live. We'll watch it recorded, and we'll fast-forward through the actual wrestling matches just to watch the promos and the end of the, you know, watch the end of the match just to see how they end up finishing so we know all the finish moves. Uh, and then we will tend to watch the pay-per-views live just because you can't really fast-forward the pay-per-view, but... Well, and they're they're bigger events. They yeah. are they're they're equivalent to they're the they're the wrestling equivalent to the Marvel movies, right? As opposed to like the Agents of Shield TV show, right? <laughs> right? Like you could read the synopsis of the Agents of Shield season and get an idea of what's going on in the low level Marvel world, and then you're going to go see Endgame because you wanted to make sure you you saw Endgame. You know, uh, that makes sense. Interesting, interesting times, man. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I'll have to dive into that, listen to that interview, and I may have to check out that new promotion. It is it's really exciting to me to hear that they're going to be on TV though, and on Turner again. Like what a uh, there's so much history there. Uh, that's that's really cool. Well, they have an interest. Uh, listen, we can get all into the history of wrestling. My son is more into the AEW than even I am, uh, and that's because it's all been fueled by this internet stuff. Like nothing done by AEW. They don't have a television promotion, so the only way they can promote these events is through the internet, and they're getting this huge following, and that's why they're getting a television show because they've built up a big enough following where they've sold out these arenas uh, to the same level as WWE is, and now they're going to be featured on television. It's going to be really interesting to see how all of this ends up playing out. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to hear Johnny Moxley's story because I'm curious as to why he ended up leaving because he was a big guy 
in WWE. He was a he was a Universal Champion for a while and the WWE Champion as well. So uh, nostalgia for me too in my pick this week uh, of a different kind. I have started rewatching the Cheers series. Uh, you know, from NBC, Sam Malone, uh, Diane in the early seasons, and then Rebecca later. Um, I've I love this show. I loved it when I was a kid. I, you know, I watched it as soon as I was uh, old enough to know what TV was. Mom and Dad would watch it, so I'd watch it with them at night. And then when it was in reruns uh, as a kid, it was one that I would watch often. But then as a grown-up, um, a couple of years ago, when Kelly and I first started dating, we were both – I started watching Cheers again like on Netflix I think at the time, and she started watching it with me. And we, we wouldn't always watch the episodes together, but we worked our way through the series together uh, right alongside each other and you know talking about the episodes as we went. It was really kind of cool. I bought it like I don't know a month ago or two months ago on iTunes. They had the whole series for like 20 bucks. Hmm. I was like, I can't pass that up. So I bought the whole thing and I've been watching the episodes. I'm up into the second season now uh, on the episodes that I'm actually watching. But I got to like the fourth or fifth episode in the second season and I thought all of a sudden like, hey, I wonder if anybody does a Cheers rewatch podcast. And there's actually a couple of them out there now. One of them seemed like it hadn't been produced in a while, like it was maybe um, – you know, pod faded, but the one seemed like it was still in regular production. They have finished the fourth season and they seem to have gone on a, like a small hiatus. The last episode that was produced was in June. Uh, but they, they're, you know, social media presence is still active. It looks like they're still ongoing. Uh, it's called cheers weekly and I've got a link to it in the show notes and they put out a new episode every week. I have literally just started and I've listened to two episodes so, so far. So I can't tell you a whole lot about where they go with the series. They have implied that they're going to try to copy the West, uh, wing weekly podcast and get some, members of the cast eventually uh, on and, you know, creative uh, members of the creative team uh, potentially to come on to the show. Um, but they do talk about the surrounding environment of pop culture and America at the time that the episode was released. They talk about some of the specifics of the episode and then, you know, the broader cultural ramifications as well as like little uh, behind the scenes things that they have found as well. I've really enjoyed it so far as much as I love this series. I think I'm, this is going to be maybe even better for me than the West wing weekly. So I am really jacked up about this. I'm, I've got a bunch queued up. I'm going to catch up with the podcast before I start watching any more of the TV show. And then I'm going to go back and forth i'll watch a new episode of the show and then listen to the episode of the uh podcast nice. that's what i'm doing now cheers weekly where everybody knows your name season two don't get me started season two is, very... is coach still on season two or was coach, so only coach season still on one? i th- no coach i think coach goes three seasons before he okay. passes the actor passes um i'm not positive when woody comes in i can't remember the specifics but also in season two we still don't have fraser is still not on and lilith has still not arrived mm. Uh, they, they, I think they come in, in the third season maybe. Um, but it, it is from day one, it was a great sitcom and even today it really holds up. The other interesting thing to me, Jay, there are a ton of like cultural political things that come up in the first and the beginning of the second season that are still pretty relevant and the characters actually come off pretty positively so for instance there are a couple of storylines in the first season about gay characters where the initial reaction of all your primary characters is like oh my gosh that guy's gay or that girl's gay or whatever but then eventually they're like 
no, it's everybody's fine to be just how they are, and we need to respect everybody, and they're still my friend, and there's nothing wrong with that, and everybody is who they are, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, they're very modern sort of morals, even mm. in those episodes where they're dealing with it on a very early 80s basis. You know, like, the guy comes into the bar all distraught because his daughter or his son is marrying a, a guy or, or or wants to be with a guy. But then like a 30 second conversation with coach, this old white man who ostensibly you would think would be very backwards minded. And suddenly they're both like, yeah, this is great. And aren't you excited for your son finding the love of his life, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's how that's resolved. It's very, very cool for an early 80s sitcom actually. Um, 90s, by the way, maybe the late 80s, but 90s. No, so it was 11, 11 seasons. It went from 82 to 93. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the first season is in is 1982. I was not I was I was born, but I was I don't remember the first few seasons. I I the the earliest episodes I remember already had Woody on them. But the show started basically before like right at my birth effectively. That's crazy. Um, I always think yeah. of it as the 90s. Maybe it's because I I went to the Cheers finale. I was at the Cheers finale. Because I attended Were Emerson, really? I attended Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts, right. and Cheers was literally right next to a majority of the dorms at Emerson College, right there on uh, Beacon Street. And so, awesome. and so, yeah, me and a bunch of uh, college buddies, we were we are at the Cheers finale. The entire cast was there, and met Al Roker. Got to shake hands with Al Roker because he was there for, uh, you know, what is he? Good Morning America. I don't remember. Uh, the Today Show, but Today they, show. they did the yeah. yeah they did like a big special on the yep. Today Show, and then they also did a. I think he might have hosted the documentary, like before the final episode. There was like an hour okay. length, hour long documentary before the final episode aired. I think he was part of the creative team for that too. That's awesome. I didn't know. I didn't know that. But yeah. yeah, it it feels like it's more modern. But again, it has. If you go back and watch, it's like Mash though in that way, right? Like Mash is well, yeah. uh, a '70s sitcom in many ways, but it is so modern in its sensibility that it still holds up today. When Mash is another one I'm watching with my wife. She was a huge fan of Mash as a kid. I'd never seen it before really, and so we're going back and watching it. We're in the second or third season for it too. And the same thing is true there. Like they confront a lot of things that you're that are startling for their stances considering the time frame that those episodes were released in, you know. Well, Mash too had the ability of being set during the Korean War. So their time right. period was in the 60s and 70s where which is when it was mainly being produced but wasn't being produced at the same time the korean war was obviously happening right um, right it was like 15 years after the right. events so they were sort of nostalgic they were looking nostalgically and so therefore a little removed yeah you're right and, but still and obviously forward thinking and obviously at that time vietnam was still huge in society right. i think about that all the time i think about how when i was a kid growing up like vietnam 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 was the was was everything and now here I am with children. My children don't know anything about Vietnam. They, they well, know literally nothing about it. The it did it for me that when the it movie came out, uh, the the first one, volume one of the it films, someone made the point that you know those books were about effectively like thirty year cycles, and the the book was set in the eighties. The first section was set in the fifties. Mm. Now. The 80s are as far away from us as the 50s were to you and me as children. Mm. So, like, th that puts the 
that puts the time frame on it. And again, it stretches all these all these things out. Take it back to the wrestling for a minute, Jay. <laughs> like you and I are nostalgic for Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan was a grown man when you and I were babies. True. Very like, true. So he he is an old man now, and you cannot put those old men up against literal boys that are doing things with their bodies that only boys and, and girls can do. You know, these, these kids that are 18, 19, 24 years old at the peak of their physical. I mean, that's the, you don't play the NBA. You don't play in the NBA when you're 45, right? right. You don't run up and down the court. You just don't do it. <laughs> Ric Flair is still chopping. Well, there you go. Well, but, he's yeah. got to stop. Well, Ric Flair is still not really still chopping. He's, he's had a couple of <laughs> near misses and some, in some health scares in his life but that's the thing if you look at rick flair rick flair looks like an old man now when you look at yes. when you look at hulk hogan he still kind of looks like an old man but he still kind of looks like hulk hogan like he's still a gigantic muscle-bound beach dude brother uh who could bring it if he wanted to except i met him when i was at espn he did we, we used to do the car wash where he was a guest on everybody so he was a guest on our podcasts and all that so i got to meet him and he is be uh, like that man like his back he's just like he could barely walk and just like walk like a normal dude it's but it's funny because you sit there and you meet him he's a nice guy he's very quiet he's very humble and talk to you and whatever and then i'll be like so what what do you need for this like do you need me to turn it on and we're like yeah just do whatever you feel comfortable with and then we start the in- introduction and he immediately what you talking about mean gene he'll he like turns on that energy like it's like a flip of, flip of a switch so the, the one one worth again we could do a whole podcast oh my about God. raw but yeah. the the raw reunion the thing that i noticed was mankind he comes out and does his little spot uh Mick Foley he looks like Ric Flair because mm. he doesn't put on the persona he doesn't put on the heavy makeup he doesn't put on the wig or keep growing his hair out and bleaching it blonde he doesn't do 6 hours in the gym every day like Hogan still does he looks like an old man who has literally had his body ravaged by the things that he's done to himself and and others have done to he's him. He's thrown himself off a 20-foot cage. Like, like what was I he just, thinking? Every time I look at him now, I think about that cauliflower ear oh. you know, and the, the, the thumbtacks through the nose, the tooth through the nose, oh. et cetera, et cetera. Like, oh, my God, that poor dude, that poor man. His family. Like, Well, I say that. They're all cash and checks, right? They're all mm. cash and checks. Everybody's, everybody's happy. Anyway. Uh, Jay, that was a lot more than just podcasting this week. Lots of wrestling, brother. A lot of good info for you, uh, no matter what side of this business that you're interested in. Uh, And the other thing is, I want to tell you uh, that uh, very soon we're going to have our Patreon ready. Is that right? We mentioned Patreon support and uh, ad-free opportunities earlier in this story. We are still working on that, but it is coming. Uh, We'll have it launched in the next little bit, and we'll let you have those links as soon as they are available. Um, Jay, where can people find you in case they need your expertise on a project? At the real Podvader on Twitter, uh, Facebook.com slash Podvader page on Facebook, and nextfanup at gmail.com. Best way to email me. You can find me at the Rogues Life on Twitter or anywhere else, propodcastingservices.com. That's my website. All my links are there. Until next week, we've been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. Cup of coffee! Miss Elizabeth, yeah! Oh, yeah. Always listening. We are always listening. Yeah, I know I ain't seen it all. But I've seen
Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Rayburn. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.